Today on Atomic Moms, we're talking to Dr. Sadas Simran. She has a PhD in clinical psychology. She's a prenatal yoga teacher and a doula, my doula, in fact. Uh, she's going to talk to us about what to do if you didn't have the birth that you really wanted. Hi, everyone. Hi. We, this is actually our second take at uh, the beginning of this podcast. We danced super we, hard in the first one. We danced super hard in the first one, and I'm feeling a little out of it. And apparently, Ellie could sense that, and Ellie was needing something too. And so we both hugged it out just now. And I'm we sorry, it. it was so good. <laughs> she said, "Do you need a hug?" And I said, "Yes, I need a hug." <laughs> and Bianca smells so good. What is that? What are you wearing? Um, it's from Golden Bridge. Uh, it's a, Which is a yoga. it's a yoga place here in LA, and um, it's an oil. I can't remember. They have like a goddess line and this is one oh, of the goddesses. You smell like a goddess. Thank you. Um, that's a good a, a good introduction to our guest, Dr. Sada Simran. Yay! Who has a PhD in goddess. In goddess. <laughs> that is and- actually a fact, by the way. She has a PhD in clinical psychology. She is a prenatal yoga teacher and a doula. And not only just a doula, but she was my doula. And uh, I, she's I, seen your hoo-ha. <laughs> she has, she's seen it all up close and personal. I have farted in Sada's face, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> and isn't that interesting? Because I don't remember that, and you do. You don't? No, I don't remember that. Oh my god! I think you're the one who initially reminded me of it, like the week after. <laughs> but uh, but I um, but I I do remember it because it was at the peak of. Of the craziness, and uh, and I just remember I, I I am no longer in control of any of my faculties at this point. It's all just coming out. Um, but see, those are the things that are really important because you will carry that memory forward into your next birth if you have another baby. Really, and that can be a kicker for some women. It's like, oh man, am I going to fart? I oh my know, god, I don't sure. want to fart. No, every massage I get, this is which by the way, I don't get very many um because I don't have time and because I don't like to treat myself and mostly because I'm afraid of farting. <laughs> <laughs> really? Has it yeah, happened to you before? Cuz if you have to relax, yeah, and then I'm not even sure like you don't know if you really did. We should talk about other things. We're moving on. <laughs> this is me learning about boundaries, which we will also discuss later. Uh probably that I shouldn't share uh, so much about my faculties on the podcast. No, but uh, it's about understanding that what we don't do as women in particular is name the elephant in the room. Yeah. What is your elephant in the room in in terms of your your childcare, your birth, you know, with your family and everything? What is it that you're bringing in to whatever circumstance? Yeah. That's affecting your behavior in the moment. And I think the elephant in the room and the lack of discussing the elephant in the room is why we Whole, whole judgment towards others because we're so fearful that our thing is going to get out and make us look like bad parents or bad people um, that then it's, you know, you put down others because of that and that makes you feel better and more secure in, in how you're choosing to do things. So how do I name the elephant? I mean, I'll usually just be like, oh, my stomach really hurts and hope that they get the point. But if, if something's bothering me, um, how, do I, how do I bring it up in a way that doesn't um, freak people out. <laughs> are we talking specifically about bodily functions or are we talking about in general? In general. In general. Yeah. If I have an elephant. Right. Okay. Like let's say if I have an audition and I'm really nervous. All right. So it, everything is predicated on your belief system, your biology of belief. So if you walk in in that circumstance and say to whomever you're auditioning for, I just want to get it out here so I can let it go, then I'm really nervous about this experience. I've got a lot of butterflies. I've got a lot of anxiety. And now that I said that, you all know that. So can we proceed? It's out there. Yeah. You're not holding it anymore. Mm-hmm. You can let it go. That's same right. same thing with the, you know, getting a massage. Turn into the person and say, okay, man, I always feel like I'm going to fart. So I just want to give myself permission to say, you know, I might fart. Yeah. How do you feel yeah. about that? You're cool with it. Good. I'm cool with it. Fine. That's great. And Let's let light a go. candle and we're good. And specific- A lot of guys are concerned about boners too with massages. Oh, yeah. That becomes a phobia. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but you should probably, uh, dads out there listening, you should probably not talk about that elephant in the room because that would be considered sexual harassment. Well, <laughs> we're getting way off topic. <laughs> um, but I, I will say that... Um, 
I met Sadab because she um, was a teacher at a prenatal Kundalini course that I took. It was a week long, um, well, more than a week. I think it was actually like 10 days uh, in my sixth month of pregnancy. And a, a friend recommended that I take it. Um, it's actually mostly for women who are wanting to teach prenatal, prenatal yoga, but they encourage um, pregnant women to come a, because I think it's great for teachers to have real pregnant women to work with and also because it's so informative that as a pregnant woman, I learned more in that week than I think I learned my entire pregnancy. And not just about like specifics, you know, or, or clinical or, um, you know, things relating to the actual pregnancy itself, but I think things about the spirit of my child, the spirit of myself. Um, and I had a doula tentatively set up. It was someone who, um, and for those of you who, who don't know, uh, a, a doula is your birth coach, essentially. Um, some people will have a midwife. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sadab, but the difference is that the midwife will handle more of the, the midwife can actually birth the child. Catch. Yes, catch the child. Um, and the doula, I like to think of as your wingman. I mean, Sada, I could not have made it through my home birth if it weren't for Sada. I, I didn't. I knew people had had said it's it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. Um, I wasn't prepared for how hard it was, and not hard in like if you're out there listening and contemplating doing having a natural birth that you can't do it. It just you can totally do it. It just takes every ounce of your being in in the best way. I mean, I learned more about myself going through that experience than I have in anything I've done in my life. But um, when I met Sada, Sada came in and taught one of um, the days. She had a like a two-hour segment where she talked to us about, about pregnancy, about birth. And I was like, I just immediately knew this is the woman I want. This is the drill sergeant I want <laughs> next to me when I'm thinking maybe I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you do know, you remember I, what she talked about in the class that day, what um, the subject was? I think you talked about the woman who gave birth on the dance floor. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Very funny yes. story. Yes. Yeah. And can you share it? <laughs> I'd love to. So I had a woman come to my prenatal class and it was her third baby. And she was going to leave class a little bit early because she was going to a wedding. So as her husband would tell the story later, because he and their three children would come to my class, he said, mm-hmm. I just wanted to shake your hand. And I was like, okay. He said, because in essence, I had this baby, and he was holding this baby in my arm, for the $20 it cost my wife to attend your yoga class. <laughs> and I was like, please share And he said, after my wife went to your class, we went to a wedding. And we were dancing. They had these really great Latin band, and we were just moving around. And, you know, my wife would come over to me and say, oh, man, my back is hurting a little bit. Could you, like, massage right there? And then she'd go back out there and jam to another tune, and they were moving around. And she said, I'd watch her. She'd go over to somebody else. They'd massage her back, massage her shoulders. She'd feel great. He said, after the the wedding, we went and we got in the car, and... um, she just kind of looked at me and she said, I think we're going to have a baby. And he was like, well, I know we're going to have a baby. You're pregnant. She goes, I mean, like, right now. He goes, what do you mean, like, right now? And she was like, check this out. And parted her knees and there was a crowning at the top of her baby's head. And he said, well, I don't know what to do. What the hell do I do? And she he, I went to that yoga class today, and that yoga lady just said, get in a squat. He goes, I'm going to get in a squat, and you just come on over here. And that yogi lady, she said, just hold on to that baby's head. You don't need to do anything else. And she said, I'm going to inhale deeply and push like I'm going to poop. And that baby's head came on out. Uh, came on out. And he goes, what do I do now? And he said, that lady, the yoga lady said, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to push one more time. And I did. And he, he said, that baby came right on out into my hands. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that that yoga lady. That yoga lady said that crazy (laughs) yoga. Wow. I'm so curious about her first two births. Yeah. Do you know anything about were were they difficult? Were they? I don't know. Because I mean, I I remember hearing that story and thinking that because that's how I'm going to have my baby. (laughs) And (laughs) how much dancing did you do? Okay. I had a whole plan for my for Mm -hmm. my birth. I had I was going to dress up the house. Do you remember me telling you this? 
I was going to dress up the house like it was a party, like because I love to throw parties at my house. I was going to have candles lit everywhere. I was gonna, I had a playlist ready. I was going to, um, you know, have the fire going outside, the lights dimmed everywhere. My family was going to be there. And I remember Sadal, when we first had our first uh, initial meeting about her being my doula, she said, you might just want to talk to your family about them having someplace else to be just in case. And I was like, what do you mean? Just, you know, I, I've just, in my experience, it might be nice if they're prepared that they're, you, you might not want them to be there. And I couldn't imagine that. I thought, no, I'm going to want my mom to be there. I think mm, an hour or two into active labor, I turned to my sister who was at the house. She was getting ready to meet my mom and my sister-in-law who were flying down. And oh I said, um, I had hotel rooms for them per Sada's advice down the street from my house. And I said, you need to leave. <laughs> and it was, I wanted no music. I wanted nothing but silence. My husband, Sada, and, and my midwife, that was it. And so I think it's one of those things where you just don't know until you get into it. And probably it's different from pregnancy to pregnancy too, I, I'm guessing. Um, but one other thing that I remember too about Sada, one of the first things she talked about in that prenatal course was about letting go of the expectation of what you can have an idea of what you would like to have. But I remember the story you told about how women would show up for the, for your yoga class and they would like push the carriage off to the side and be like, Oh my God, I didn't have the birth. I had to have a C-section, you know, or whatever it was. And what do you say to them? Well, you know, the first thing that you need to remember that most women don't realize is it's not your birth. It's oh, your child's birth. And, you know, women build this huge story about what the experience is going to be. And they're like, oh, yes, I, you know, I'm going to be birth in a tub of hot water in front of my fireplace. And the full moon will be streaming in through the windows. And, you know, Ave Maria will be playing on the stereo as my, my son emerges into this pool of tepid water <laughs> into my husband's <laughs> arms. And I'm like, oh. You know, that's, that's a heavy, heavy bill to fulfill. And uh, I don't care how well you plan. This child has a birth destiny, and you need to honor it. Ooh, birth destiny. <laughs> oh, God, for half a second. Can we talk birth destiny? Can oh, you fine. What, 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 just expand, expound on that? Mm -hmm, expand. All right, I'll, I'll talk about my own personal experience. Yes, okay? please. So my own personal birth. My mother's, I'm my mother's second child. My mother had her, um, my sister during World War II when women were heavily medicated. Me women were knocked out. And my mother said that she actually remembered becoming conscious and not even knowing if she had a baby. And like, where was my baby? And how that experience was so horrifying for her that she had this whole segment of her life that she did not remember that when she became pregnant with me, her whole intention was, I'm not having that experience again. So during her whole entire pregnancy, all she said to me was, no medication, fast and easy. And that is the space that she was holding for me. All right? So what happened? My mother's standing in the shower. Her water breaks, and she... By the time she gets to the hospital, she's in full active labor. And the whole time, she's just pushing off, going, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. I was born in the days where they use ether. Again, you know, they were going to take her to La La Land to, to physically birth her baby. No, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. Someone needs to catch my baby. No, thank you, no, thank you. And she had me in less than three hours. You know, a precipitous birth. Yeah. Because, you know, we were both on the same page. Okay, I didn't want the drugs. She didn't want the drugs. Okay, that, that motored on forward. But that doesn't always happen where two people are on the same page because in your birth, you're manifesting a particular experience for you. It is the beginning. You're birthing yourself. The women are birthing themselves as women. Mm. All right? And you need to recognize that these children are your karma. All right? They're here as a gift to you because you each have stuff to work out. All right, this cho soul has chosen you as their mother because you have the qualities 
that they recognize that will assist them to work through their stuff. Mm-hmm. And these souls have the qualities that you need, the mirror you need to work through your stuff. Ellie is like almost orgasmic I'm over jamming it. out. <laughs> I just think it's so amazing and so true. And I want you to keep talking. <laughs> I'm almost there. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> All right. And what happens is when there's a rupture in that process because of your expectations. Right. All right. Those women who see me after going through a prenatal course, childbirth education course with me, who push, who, who see me and abandon their children, push the stroller and come and wrap their arms around me, they're still in the trauma of their birth experience and and unable to attach to their children. Every time they look at that baby, all they can say is, you know, I wanted this birth and X happened and something else happened. So that is blocking their connection to this baby. So if there's a mother listening to this right now and she and that resonates with her. Right. What would you say to her? How do you 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 didn't have you didn't have the birth that you wanted to have. You experienced a lot of trauma. Mhm. How do you reconcile the experience that you had with you know what you had wanted and 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 how you can bridge that with your baby, I guess. I don't know. There's a question in there. Will you please translate for me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it starts with this process. Number one, you got to write down your birth story. You got to, you got to get it out. You uncensored. I call it when women come to see me with a birth trauma, I said, you need to go home and vomit on the page. And that's how I call it. Whatever it is that happened to you, uncensored so that we can work through it and for a lot of them you know they they haven't mourned their birth because what happens society tells you it's very cultural you got a healthy baby in your arms what's your problem but for a lot of women this healthy perfect baby isn't enough because they feel that they lost their power in their birthing experience and that a sense of self has been stripped away and now they've lost their trust in themselves because this this expectation they had was so powerful it was so physical it was so visceral they could see it they could imagine it they were holding space for it and it didn't manifest and so how do they get back on the path of trusting themselves as a new mom because their foundation has been ruptured So it begins with reparating that experience. And the only way it can happen is when they're really honest and can write it down so that they can start speaking about it. Because what happens? It's embarrassment and shame that colors the whole entire thing. Because, unfortunately, as women, we judge each other around birth. You know, advocates for natural vaginal birth you know, kind of go, oh, you had an epidural? Wow, you couldn't handle it, huh? Or what do you mean you had a C-section? And vice versa. Yeah. You know, we polarize. And so uh, I really look at that's where women need to start honoring each other in their birth experience. Yeah, and honoring... um what a personal choice it is and that even if you do have the perfect birth and your perfect birth was whatever you wanted it to be, somebody's perfect birth is there are, there are people, I, I had a girlfriend who, um, you know, has told me that it's, it's a medical procedure. That's, you know, her birth was a medical procedure. She said, I'm not going to have some big aha moment. I'm not going to get in touch with the inner part of myself. And that's the way that her view was of it. And that was not my view of it. My view and her view could not have been more opposite. Um, But that was a good learning experience for me and realizing, like, it's not the same thing to everybody. Well, I'd like to reframe 
your language, if I may. Please do, because you always do such a good job. <laughs> and, and that is, I, I like to take away the word perfect, because that's not achievable for anybody. That sets up an expe- expectation itself. I like to language it a beautiful birth, and that's the space I'm holding for everyone. I don't care whether you have a C-section. I don't care if you have an epidural. I don't, I don't care if you have I, 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 that. None of that makes a difference. The women I work with, I want them to say, after I come and visit them, after they have their babies, I had a beautiful birth. Because your children, that will be the most popular story in their lifetime. They want to hear it again and again and again. Yep. When I went to my hypnobirthing class with Alicia uh, Tamburi, who was a guest um, a few episodes back, she asked us all to share our our own birth stories. And my mom had a really horrific birth um, with me. Uh, She labored, I guess, naturally for 24 hours or something like that in the hospital. And then because she had broken her tailbone or something years before, there was an obstruction and I couldn't get out. And then at that point, they couldn't give her the right medication that she needed, so they ended up just knocking her out for the C-section. And then she woke up alone in the hospital room with no baby, no husband, like no one was around. And that's her birth story for me. And I mentioned in that class that I felt really bad. Um, I felt guilty that my mother's first experience with me um, was really painful and scary for her and it was so cool because Alicia said um, you know uh, it, basically that must have been really scary for you too and and it was the first time ever where I was like oh wait I was in that like I was a part of that it wasn't only my mother's experience it was mine too and that I wasn't you know I didn't who know, like I came out of her, and then I don't know where I was, and I but I wasn't with her, and I guess I'm sharing this because for the mothers who have had a traumatic birth, like you know, write out your story, like you're saying, and we'll discuss other techniques that maybe can help them recover, because it's a it's a really nice thing. Um, with your own child, when you can tell them their birth story and and not, I don't know, as a kid, it sucks to see your mom sort of relive the trauma when she talks about your birthing day. So as mothers, let's, let's it's very difficult, um, but if we can work on healing, just know that that's for your kid too. Well, I look at every birth story has its component that is foundational to that child. All right. So let's take your story that you just told. It's a mystery as to why your mother broke her coccyx, the tip of the tailbone. But in some way, that was manifested for your experience so that you would be a C-section birth. All right. For some reason, it was not your destiny to move through the birth canal. For some reason, it was, it was important for you in this lifetime to have this experience to where you began life with your mother with a perceived trauma, a rupture. So my guess would be is that you're very good at navigating hard times. I'm nodding for those of you listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when you say that, it also makes me think that one of my life journeys or lessons that I'm trying to always figure out is how to go with the flow. And I almost feel like that was setting me up. Like there was, I tried to go with the flow for a day. It didn't work out. There was a C-section. And now this has been um, a really kind of awesome uh, path of trying to learn how to go with the flow. You know, I don't, well, and I, make any sense. I think it's, 
a, such a, a beautiful way for all of us, our listeners, to learn to look at anything in life that feels hard or difficult or wrong, that's something that feels like it shouldn't have happened that way. When you can look at anything from the standpoint of um, it was necessary for my forward movement as a human being having this human experience to go through that in that way, um, gosh, what a gift to be able to live your life that way. What a gift to go and look at everything that's ever happened to you as something that was not only not only important but probably planned that way, probably your destiny to go through it in that form. Yeah, and I want to talk about karma for half a second um, because I went to a doctor after um, – I've, I've spoken about this before, but I had this one-in-a-million tumor in my femur bone. And the doctor ended up saying, you know, I think that that's, you'll figure out later, but that's your was part of your karma. And I had to stop him because I was like, wait a minute, buddy. My tumor was part of, like, my karma? Like, you think, I like, what horrible thing did I do to get this massive bone-dissolving, potentially metastasizing tumor? By the way, what kind of doctor was it? His name is Dr. Kalsa. He's in Beverly Hills, and he does. he's an internist, but he also does a lot Surround. of Eastern men. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he's, he said, well, that's not what I meant by karma. So will you explain to me again and to everyone else, like, just can you talk a little bit about karma and what that means? Because now my interpretation of it was that with my having my tumor, that it took me on this other path of learning a lot of things that I needed to learn. Not that I, we always think of karma as like, I did something back in the day and now I'm paying for it. Yes. And that that's not, that's not what he meant. So what's karma? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to speak for Dr. Saran and what he was meaning in that moment. Of course. But the easiest way for me to explain it here is to talk about your mother a bit more. Great. And that is... Because she broke her coccyx and because she had a a C-section, she decided in that moment that she was a bad mama, all right? And that's what happens, how women frame around birth trauma. I, I haven't even gotten the kid in my arm yet, and I'm a bad mama already, all right? That's the setup. And that's why I say karma karma is offering you this position. We're going to put you in this position that's really challenging for you, that pushes you to your edge, but you get to decide what type of woman you want to be because of that circumstance. She had choice. Obviously, from what you're saying, when she relates your birth, she hasn't discharged that yet. She's still holding on that I did something bad. All right? Whereas... My assumption, not to put words in Dr. Thrum's mouth, is for him to look at is that life is never perfect. It's not? <laughs> exactly. And so how are you going to continue on with your life now that you have had this tumor? How is that going to affect you? It will perfect you in profound ways that you won't even realize. And that's your karma. Make sense? Yes. All right. That's awesome. All right. So the mothers who don't have the birth that they hoped for, mm-hmm. they have trauma. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of medical intervention and it was really scary and terrifying, which I feel like a lot of that happened with me with the tumor. So mm-hmm. like this is – so I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, they write it down. They vomit it on the page. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Well, then – I find, if they're not going to seek a professional, someone to work through it, what I recommend they do is, if somebody else was present, have them write their version of the story. Oh, like your husband. Exactly. Because you will be so amazed as to how they see it differently. And and what about also for women who because we had a, a guest, our friend Eva came on and she talked about her experience. Um, she had a really uh, long birth, um, which ended up going. I mean, it was long, but she she got through it with you know flying colors, and then 
she found herself feeling unworthy because she couldn't believe that here her in her words she said i couldn't believe that i was able to bring this child you know naturally into the world and then i i didn't know what to do after that and i felt like who am i as a mother to know how to birth this baby but i'm not i don't know how to mother her afterwards so can we talk a little bit about that about the mother experience even after the birth and and i mean is that what is that the same experience that you vomit on the page about your experiences becoming a mom or is that something different? Well, you know, it always helps if you start working on that fourth trimester. Yes. Before you have your baby. And if you're in partnership, it's about talking about it in partnership because you're going to be the type of mother that your mother was unless you've done some work to be somebody different. And can you talk a little bit about that fourth trimester? Because I know there's a lot of people that, I know, I know when I talked about um, the fourth trimester, a lot of people didn't know what that was. What I'm talking about is those first three months or so after you have your baby, where you're getting to know your baby and your baby is getting to know you because both your baby and you will have all these expectations, okay? Both your partner will have all these expectations about what this experience is going to be like. And most women think, well, you know, it's the most natural thing in the world. And a lot of them discover they don't have the skill set that they expected. They don't, they're not holding the baby in their arms that they expected. You know, the example that, and one of the examples I use, I, have, I had a woman, she was a Zumba teacher and was so excited to get back into teaching, into going to Zumba class, and her baby hated the music. Just screamed his little lungs out. Would even start approaching the studio and would go into a fit. And she was like, "How could I have birthed a baby who hates Zumba? It's my passion." And the baby heard it in in utero, in utero. the whole entire time. And so I, I'm like, you know, you, you've got to honor this child and who it is, because this child is born with a personality. I got news for you. You do something you don't like, that baby's going to win every time. I love that because when Sabrina was born, not only did she look nothing like me or my husband, which <laughs> she had jet black hair and it was very long. And um, my husband and I look very Midwestern. And she was like this exotic little beauty queen, very different from us. Um and it, it kind of blew me away because I expected to have a baby that looked like I looked like when I was a baby or the way my husband looked like when he was a baby. And it was everyone – I mean, she, people would stop because she looked like no other baby ever. And it was such a great thing too because we were like from the very beginning, from the second we saw her, we were like, okay, she is her own person. This is not some extension of me. She is her own being 100% and she has – I have a lot of people-pleasing tendencies, and she has none of that. And it's, it's – I sort of revel in that. I enjoy how it felt like she was – she came from another planet, like you know, a really beautiful planet. <laughs> I, I had a similar experience in that. I mean, when you have your first child, you just don't know what to expect, any of it. I, I remember I kept saying to you, Sada, like, I wish someone could just tell me what it's going to be like. I just, I feel like I could relax if I knew what the birth was going to be like and what it's going to be like to have a child. Um, and there is no one that can help you with that. <laughs> but, um, but you carry this child for, you know, 10 months, basically, and that entire time in your imagination, you are building up this prototype of who you think this person is, what they're going to look like, what their hair is going to look like, what their eyes are going to look like, what, you know, what their voice will sound like. And then you just continue adding to that. It's, you know, like this little sculpture that you keep just carving away at and building until like right before the birth, you feel like you have this perfect idea. And then they come out and it's like, whoa, Nelly. This is, I don't, this is a stranger. I mean, and that was the, when I sat up and looked at Magnolia on the bed, I was like, I don't recognize her. And everybody had talked about, you know, love at first sight though. And I didn't, it wasn't love at first sight because she was unknown to me. She was, 
you know, and, and what I thought was crazy was that then within those first three days, I fell in love. I, I, and it was, it was fascinating to watch that happen because you don't fall in love with anyone in your, in your world that fast. I mean, you might have lust, but you, but to, to really witness myself truly falling in love with this person over a, you know, a 72 hour period, um, and realize I had to get to know her first. And, and I, I realize that even now saying that at almost 10 months, I still don't know her. She changes every day. Every day is a new attitude towards something or a new vocalization or a new, um, you know, way of, of how she chooses to do things. So I, I don't try to hold on to any part of it as concrete fact of this is who Magnolia is, but it's an evolving form. Do you Um, think with your next child, that you will sculpt an idea of who they will be before I, they're born? I was wondering that too. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like because, you know, I don't know. When you were pregnant with Sabrina, it's like, you, do you remember that? But you, fe- you feel them. You feel their presence. You feel their kicks. Mm-hmm. So you, the hiccups. Yeah, all of those things. I don't know. As humans, can we have that and not start to try and formulate some thought of who they are? I mean, I guess I'll have to. I think to- I'd always kind of project into like what she'd be as a three-year-old or something like that. If I had some image in my mind, I never really. Yeah. But that's. Because I still do it even now. I mean, I'll look at her and I'll try and imagine like when the hair is just that much longer, she'll look like this, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And and it's not, even though it's not that mm-hmm. far off from who she is like right now, I, as we get to every stage, I realize like, wow, I was way off, <laughs> you know. It's cool, the energy though, like how Sabrina, she's definitely, it's so cool, like how from the beginning, like she's just, she has a, I guess I'd say consistency to her energy where. I mean, I guess it's her soul that I feel like if I had the opportunity to look, God, I just started my period. That's why I'm so emotional. (laughs) If when she's 90, if I were able to look down on her, that she would have that same essence that I get to experience right now. It's all, it's the hugging too. I think we started off the podcast in <laughs> <and> hugging. <laughs> You're lucky, Sadag, because this hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I love it. It's well, what it's all about. But what I'm hearing from both of you is that you're giving your children permission to be themselves. And that's the gift. It's fine. You can have as many expectations as you want about who this child is going to be when they're in your belly. You can have as many expectations as you want around what your birth is going to be. But what I'm saying is, look at your attachment. Are you going to be okay if your daughter comes out and she's not blonde, blue-eyed like you are, or doesn't have, you know, this glorious, glowing cinnamon skin that you've seen in your head this whole entire time. And be really be interested, be curious about who these people are, because that's what we forget, is that they're people. Yeah. And, you know, love the experience of getting to know this soul. Versus trying to crush it and make it in fit into this box that you've created in your mind. And that's the difference. And that's what brought you to tears is that this, this child that you have is so much more than you ever expected, than you ever dreamed of. And that's what you just expressed. Versus the anger and the frustration is, you know... I want my kid to um, love art. My kid hates art. Well, uh, guess what? You're going to sit here and do art every day until you learn to love it. That's an unhappy mom, unhappy baby. And really, that's the final formula. Happy mom, happy baby. Happy, Happy couple, happy baby. It's, it's interesting. I, it brings to mind um, when I was dating... Not so very long ago, I went out with a fine young gentleman who was a musician, a very successful musician. And um, we were talking one day about when we were kids and what we wanted to do. And he said, I always knew my father was very disappointed in me because I wanted to paint and write poems. And he just wanted me to throw the football in the front yard. And I, 
something about the way that he said it to me, I, it, I was so sad for him that that was his experience with his parent in, in that he wanted to do something so badly and he was, and his only memory of that time was that he sensed the disappointment. Um, but again, based on what we're talking about today, that was part of his plan, right? And part of his, his path. And, um, you know, and maybe he wouldn't be the person he is today and as successful if he, if he didn't have to feel like he had to fight, you know, to do what he wanted to do. Who knows? I'm just trying to reframe it in Sada, in Sada speak. <laughs> well, you know, at, at that's, that example you just gave is just two men who polarized. Yeah. And that happens in life all the time. I know it happens to me every day where I have to go, okay, man, you know, this person is not seeing something the same way that I am. And from the moment you conceive, you're teaching your children how to navigate the world. Yeah. And a lot of the time, the path we adopt is my way or the highway. And that's not fun for anybody. And there needs to be give and take. You know, I look at is that, you know, these were, this was a father and son and nobody was willing to meet each other to get their needs met. But how, I mean, how can a, a child meet a parent? Like what is, I mean, if a kid comes into this world wanting to do something in a certain way and the parent is just not okay with it, then, then can you explain, like, what is the responsibility of the child? How is that? None. none. Absolutely yeah. none. Okay, that's I'm talking about in, in this adulthood relationship this, that you were oh, talking about. Well, know? this was an adult. He was a yes. child when, when, he was, when he was expressing that he was finding this disappointment in his, that his father had in him. So. 100%. Because yeah. everybody as a parent has a tendency to lay their stuff on their kids. Yeah. And he was laying his stuff on his kids. He had an expectation of a kid who was going to want to play football or whatever, whatever sport. Yeah, make yeah. him proud in front of his buddies and, at work. And, you know, and that Get was a scholarship. Or, you know, who knows what the father's history was to where, you know, he wanted to be ex athlete, mm -hmm. you know, blew out a knee. I don't know. But that was he was driving forward his dream. And the child doesn't have any responsibility in that. Yeah. Can't. What do you say to the parents? If a parent asks, you know, they want their child to do very well in school because they think if the kid goes does well in school, then they'll go to a good college, and then if they go to a good college, then they'll get a good job, and they just want the they think that they just want the kid to have a good, happy life, and that by playing by the rules, you can have a good, happy life. If a kid's not interested in school. What what does the parent do? Well, the number one question I would ask the parent is, how does your child like to learn? We all like to learn differently. Yeah. You know, some people are tactile. Some people are auditory. Some people are visual. And then you need to find an educational environment that matches the way the child has to learn. In the initial stages, it should not be, parenting should not be about teaching something. It should be about teaching a child the love of learning. Yeah. In whatever way they like to learn. I know. I remember for me, I really struggled with math and science. I just had such a hard time with that. And, and, um, it was difficult because I remember once I got into high school, it was, it just felt embarrassing because my parents like sent me to tutors and I just didn't get it. And I, now that as an adult, I can look back on it and say, you could give me an equation, but if you didn't tell me why, why am I doing this? I need to know why. I need to understand why. But they would just be like, memorize this equation and this equation. I actually asked a math teacher that. And yeah. then after class, she said, you need to stop asking these questions because you're confusing the other children. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Which actually makes a lot of sense with this podcast because I seem to ask a lot of questions that <laughs> would confuse everybody. But I did because I, I liked the plugging in of the formula, but I wanted to know why it was that formula. But, but it's... Crazy yeah. because then, you know, the message you got was... Shut up. No, was <laughs> your 
your inquiries are not as important as the other kids that you what you wanted what you needed to know was was less important than the other children in your class right i'm well and that i'm just causing problems because then everyone else will ask those questions that, that, that by the way just tells me so much about you Ellie. well that's why i went to a liberal arts college where i didn't have to take math nice well women in general are not given space to ask why that's generally a male question yeah. So a lot of little girls will be and will be put down and thwarted when they ask a male question, which is why. Yeah. Why is it this way? So what do I tell my daughter? Well, I too had the same problem with math. And number one, it is very cultural, you know, because we're usually I don't know. I, I, like I said, I'm not a child psychologist, so right. we're going not way off of my whole. I know we should realm talk about what your comfort, <laughs> you know. But uh, uh, you know, women in general in, historically have not been encouraged in the maths and sciences, and we've been patted on the head. You're a little girl, you know, and not supposed to know those things. But I will tell you, when I was working on my master's and I doctorate, and I had to do statistics, I was just like, oh my god! I mean, I was freaking out, and. I had to start from ground zero saying this is an old imprint that I have that I can't do math. I mean, I would just say it. I can't do math. And how I approached it was I have the skill set to ask for help as much as I need to until I understand it. And I can ha ask for help for as many people needed until I can find somebody who can explain it to me in a way I can understand and that's the gift you can give your daughter, is that I've got your back, regardless of circumstances. And if there's some part of life you're having challenges navigating, I will work with you until we can find a way for you to understand how to navigate whatever that thing is. I love that. I love the I got your back part. I think that's such a, um, a beautiful way of connecting with your kid and letting them know, like, I'm here, you know, because I feel like a lot of times, I know I did as a kid. It's like you just feel like you're just being reprimanded all the time. You just feel like everyone's saying no, but nobody's explaining why. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, that's one thing that I, I hope both Michael and I talk about a lot with Magnolia is just that we just want her to know that we're there for her, that that there's no question too big and no question too small, that, you know, we just want her to be the best that she can be and, and do whatever makes her happy, you know? Yeah, I just want Sabrina to be who she is instead of what she thinks I might want from her. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're trying. We're aiming high. <laughs> um, can we talk for a second about what usually happens around minute 48 of the podcast? I panic because I have a million more questions to ask our guest. So then I take a very uh, wild left turn. So my question is, can we talk a little bit more about the fourth trimester and the perinatal part of motherhood and bonding with the child? If I have a newborn and I don't feel connected and I don't feel the warm, fuzzy feelings that I'm expecting to feel, how should I... Um, what's the best way to set the mood so that I can fall in love with my baby? Well, a lot of that is really looking at your relationship with your own mother. And like I said, you know, um, it's easiest to do it. That's what most women are doing through pregnancy. You know, they're kind of mulling around their experience of their mother. Same thing with, you know, partner. I liked that my mom did this. I didn't like that my dad did that. And you're navigating all of that. And hopefully you're having conversation about this. But when we get to a place to where uh, there's trauma and disconnection from the baby, let's say you have a, a really beautiful birth. And so it's not relative to that. It's simply relative to who this being is. You know, all my questions are going to be relative to, you know, what was your experience with your mother in those early days. What do you know about that? What was your experience with your mother growing up? Because you're modeling something. All mm -hmm. you're doing is modeling something that you've been taught. It's interesting because I 
Well, it's interesting for me because I was very connected to my baby, but I, that first whole year, I had a lot of anger with my mom. But that doesn't mean that you can't heal that today. You can't go back in time and fix it, but have a more loving, supportive relationship with your mother today because of your understanding and development as a mother yourself to a child. And you get to write as many letters as you want to, Dear Mom, I wish A, B, C, and D, E, F, and G, and when you did this, my reaction was that. You get to write all of that out so that you can let it go and forgive. Because, you know, when we're in places with anger, it's because we don't, we haven't dealt with the stuff and we can't come to a place of forgiveness so we can move beyond it yeah. and find peace. Letters that you don't send are one of my favorite yes. tactics in life, I think, because you are just free to write whatever you want. Exactly. Because coming to forgiveness doesn't make what happened right, but it gives you permission to move on and be at peace. You feel the way you feel, and your feelings need to be honored. And that's where the challenge is. I look at you should do some dominant hand, non-dominant handwriting. Okay. Dominant hand, right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. You're right-handed. Dominant hand, you're going to be writing from your intellect. Non-dominant hand, yes, in the initial stages it takes longer, and that's the whole key because it goes to your emotional body. It'll go more to your emotions so that you can get a balance between those two things. Because in essence, what you're looking for is for your mother to say, I'm sorry. That's what you're looking for is what I hear. She can't change anything but to say, I'm sorry because of A, B, C, and D. I could not be there more for you than I was. And I have seen you mother this child, and what an incredible mother you are. And it could be because of that experience you have with me. I don't know. But I am just so proud of you and the woman you've become and the mother that you are, that you are an inspiration for me. And you make me want to be a better mama to you. Yeah, she, was, she said a couple of those things the other night, actually, which was wonderful. And that's, it's funny, like talking about this on air, like suddenly I'm going into this shame spiral of like, this is not fair to my mother, and then I want to defend her, and, and she is in a wonderful, I don't need to say it, I mean, I, I hope the listeners just get it. Um, my mom is a really amazing, wonderful person. But no matter what, we all have issues with our parents. And I mean, can you imagine what Sabrina and Magnolia are going to say about us? I mean, it does, it does when you have a child yourself, suddenly all the things that you held your parents up for, you know, the, the, the things that you have um, been just angry or hurt or all of those things. And then you have a child and you're like, oh, my God, I mean... I say this every podcast, but we're all just doing the best we can, right? We're just all hanging on by a thread and just wondering, am I just screwing this child up? I mean, completely? Am I giving her any any sort of foundation? Am I do? I mean, every day I think like, oh my God, I just did this and she cried for 20 minutes. Did I just ruin her for forever? And so when those things happen, it makes me realize that it doesn't mean that you can't heal and do the things you need to do to take care of yourself based on things that happened to you as a child. But I think it also put things into perspective that it's not personal, that whatever came down from your parents, the, they were doing the best that they could with whatever circumstances they were given. And, um, and that maybe there's a way that everyone can heal together, that, that everyone can, can look at, you know, with love and compassion where we, where we all stand. Mm-hmm. Everybody walks into a room with a U-Haul of stuff behind them, of life experience. Yeah. Some positive, some negative, some challenging, some, you know, some, uh, you know, still unmet, you know, all of that. The whole thing 
with children is that your job as a parent is to teach them how to navigate challenge and to develop as many tool sets as possible because that's all life is. I know I sit there and I go, okay, really? This is my next challenge in life? You got to be kidding me. You know, and and it's and my mother's going, oh my god, my daughter has a podcast about parenting. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> and, and mother, if you're listening, I want you to know that I love you so much. No human being can actually meet us in the way that we truly want to be loved. Yeah. So true. Sometimes it definitely feels that way. Like that. There's n- so that just means how do you find your own spirit, man. <laughs> We're at minute 58. Give me 30 <laughs> seconds. How do I fix this shit? Because you're right. I'm putting it on my mom, and it's not her here, job. Here, here's I'm what I'll 31 say. years old, for God's sake. I'm sure Sada has a final closing thought on this, but I would just like to say this. As somebody who's been seeking for a really fucking long time, <laughs> I you've got to just go in the direction that pulls you. You have to look in if there's words that inspire you, if there's movies that inspire you, if there's nature, things, places that inspire you. Go to those places. Be silent. Sit with yourself. Find the things that that give you warmth in your belly and and a, a sense of peace in your heart. You you know what those places are. You know what those things are. You may not know them consciously, but subconsciously, you know when you go there when you do those things. And I just would like to tack on to the end of that is that I, I love you so much, Ellie. And I love you so much for being so open and raw today. And, um, and I, I think that if more of us would share in that way, there would be such a cohesiveness with us as, as human beings. And this is why we did this, right? Is because we wanted people to get to the place where we understand we're so in this together. And, um, when you feel judgmental or when you feel jealous or when you feel spite towards somebody to just know that like what, Ellie just opened up about everybody has that place of something inside them where they're longing, where they're wanting, where they're needing. And if we could just try to find some grain where each of us recognizes that in each other so that we wouldn't be so awful to each other and we wouldn't hold grudges and we wouldn't, you know, make judgments because we just know everyone is truly doing the best that they can with what circumstances they've been given. Anything that you could add, Sadaw, would be... Well, the challenge of this time is that we're all trying to fill the void. And technology has taken us to the place of distraction and filling the void. And I think Joseph Campbell said it the best, and that is you got to follow your bliss. But to follow your bliss, you got to get quiet and pay attention. You got to listen to really feel into what it is that you're your soul desires, your heart desires, versus so you can start to understand when you're people-pleasing or whether you're taking a step because if I do this, maybe X will happen, you know, instead of going, this is what I love, man. This is what I feel passionate about. This is what makes me jump out of the bed in the morning and go, yes, I'm so excited for my life. That makes you tap dance and dance to your music in the beginning because I love my life. And that's when you're in touch with your soul, when your joy is boundless, when there's a smile on your face and it's true because it's coming from your heart. And that's the space we should be holding for each other. That's the space we should be holding for our babies, for our children, to see them, you know, be so excited because it's a new morning, it's a new day. We have a lot of dance parties at the Stickyels. <laughs> We've started having dance parties. Magnolia has started dancing, and it's amazing. Um, Ellie, yes. Oh, my mom's session. I have to say quickly. Oh, great. Uh, uh, my mom's session right now is because Magnolia is teething. Are those little? I actually found out of them because you you had them. The little Munchkin nets that you can get on Amazon that they you put the food in or the ice in and she chews on it and it's amazing and just with ice alone it has been a lifesaver so uh, those are great for for little ones with um, sharp objects coming into their mouth <laughs> um, and you have our mom bomb I have a mom bomb um, it actually surprisingly goes what we were just discussing it's never surprising 
No coincidences, right? <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, this is Mark Twain, or so they say on Pinterest. <laughs> Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel that you too can become great. Sada, thank you so much. This has been such an awesome hour. And um, I, love a, I love a period of time where we can laugh, we can cry, <laughs> we can open up. And um, thank you to our listeners for tuning in and um, supporting us. And uh, we just want you to remember to trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, and rock on. Atomic, Atomic Moms. Moms. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.